Well, welcome to the Church at Arkansas this morning. Uh, you're catching us uh, in the first week of Advent, um, uh, a new sermon series called Arrival, which is just another word for Advent. Um, you know, it, it, growing up for a long time, you know, in a, a more traditional church, there were things like Advent and Lent that were always talked about. And, uh, and then I found that for many years as an adult, going to churches, Bible churches or evangelical churches, whatever you want to call them, they didn't really talk about Advent or Lent. And, and then several, well, it was probably about eight years ago, before we moved to Fayetteville, we had attended a Methodist church for a while. And one of the things that I really appreciated about it was as an adult now and really ha- actually having a relationship with Christ were some of the things that were just in the church calendar, like Advent and like Lent. And, and they had meaning to me now. They weren't just things that I didn't understand as a kid, but now as an adult, you could really kind of set aside these four weeks to, to begin to anticipate the birth of Christ. And, and Advent for us is not only we kind of get to look forward to the birth of Christ, which of course has already happened, but we get to look forward to what? His coming again. So I, I love this season. And if you know me, I, I just, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I love anticipation. These, these next few weeks, you just can't beat it for me. And so I love just the fact that even our sermon series now, Arrival, you know, like when you're at the airport and you're just, you know, you're watching the board, you know, and you're just anticipating that arrival. And that's what we're doing over these next four weeks. And what we're going to do, based on uh, Isaiah 9, 6, we're going to look at four names of Christ. And I think what we'll be able to do is just sort of anticipate how he relates to us in each one of those ways. So if you want to look at your worship guide, um, you can see the verses there at the top. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, and so today... Uh, we're we're going to look at that first one, but let's just let me set it up a little bit, just to kind of set the stage for where was where was Israel, where where was Judah, the city of Jerusalem, uh, back in the early part of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah had prophesied about seven hundred years before Christ, and at the end of chapter eight, Isaiah writes, "When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter." Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land, and when they're famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. I can relate to that. I do that. When I get my eyes off Christ, and, I, and then things don't go well, and we talked about this a few weeks ago if you were here. You know, we start to feel disappointed in God because life isn't really going the way we had hoped. And then the more that we start to feel disappointed with him, we kind of keep going our own way, because why do I want to delight in someone who's disappointing me? 
And so the more I continue to do life on my own terms, I kind of pile up this, this shame and this guilt, and now I feel like he's disappointed in me. And so I do that, and then I get angry at him. I can relate to where these people were at. But here's what I love. Chapter 9 starts with the word, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Nevertheless, um, but, therefore, uh, however, those are some of my favorite words in the Bible. They, to me, they always feel like, like a really good plot twist in a movie. Like you would think these people should just, you know, they're not consulting God. They're, they're doing life on their own terms, and they're just stumbling around in the darkness in gloom, and then when things don't go well, they rage at him, like some of us do, like I do. Nevertheless, and this is where Isaiah begins to prophesy the fact that there's a Savior coming. And we'll just skip over to verse 6, which we read. For to us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't raise your hand, but have you, ever, have you been to a counselor before? I have. Um, and why do you go to a counselor? I know for me, it was about 20 years ago, as I was in my early 30s, and I went because I was angry. And I was stuck in my anger, and I, I just couldn't move past it. Isn't that why we go to a counselor? We're stuck. We, we're not growing. We're not changing. We don't know how to get from here to where we know Either we want to be, or should be, or hope to be. And so we get stuck. And, and so we go see a counselor. And, and I went to a professional counselor at one point. Before that, I went to just a pastor. And what does a counselor then do for you? Well, they ask a lot of questions. And I know I, I, I try to do that when I either do premarital counseling or, or more crisis counseling with, with some in the church, ask questions, kind of get to what? To, to what you're really believing, to, to get to the truth. So, so really what I want to talk about this morning is Jesus comes as our wonderful counselor. I mean, he comes in, in John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So if we want truth, it's found in him. And obviously, he's not with us right now, but his spirit is. And he said when he left, it was even to our advantage that when he left, he would send the counselor or the advocate. So we have the spirit of Christ in us as our counselor to reveal truth to us, to reveal the truth about God, to reveal the truth about ourselves, and to reveal the truth about where we're looking for life. And I think sometimes we just have to learn to see things just a little bit differently. Um, has anybody, who, who's good at this, this kind of stuff? You know, the thing that you look at, you have to kind of do that funny thing with your eyes, life, no? 
Anybody? Who's good at these? Come on up. Come on up here. We're going to look at this one. All right. See if you can figure out what that is. It's a photo of some kind. Can you tell what it is? If I remember right, it's a train. Here, you can keep looking at it. Um, sometimes we just have to see things differently. I think the subtitle of the book is, is looking at the world differently. Seeing the world differently. And I, I, for me, I just find it so easy sometimes to forget just the basic truths of this book. And, and then I end up just kind of going my own way. And I stumble a lot, and then that's when I start to rage at him. And I look for life in the wrong places. Uh, who watched the Iron Bowl last night? What a game, right? Who's, uh, who's Harvey Updike? Anybody know? Huh? Yeah, Harvey Updike is the guy who, uh, I guess it was after Auburn beat Alabama in 2010... Harvey didn't like the way that went. Harvey's a big uh, Alabama fan, lives about 30 miles from Auburn. So he calls several days after the game. He calls into a radio program, and he says, you want to know what I did? I've dro I drove down there to Auburn, and uh, I, he named the pesticide. I forget what it is. But these real famous oak trees there at Tumor Corner uh, at the Auburn campus, where after big winds, all the Auburn fans, they go down there with rolls of toilet paper and they just paper those trees. They roll those trees. Well, Harvey poisons the trees and then he calls into a radio program and confesses, not having any idea what was going to happen to him. Well, he got arrested and he just got out of, he got out of jail uh, this summer. Harvey, uh, his daughter's name is Crimson Tide. His son's name is Bear after Bear Bryant. His dog's name is Nick, after Nick Saban. He wanted to name his other daughter Ali Bama, but his wife uh, vetoed that. Um, here, here's why, here, here's, here was the reason um, that Harvey gave for doing what he did. There's just too much Bama in me. That was his reason. Too much Bama in him. Now, that sounds silly to us, right? Too much Bama in me. Some of us probably have too much Razorback in us. Or we have too much of something else in us. And that's the thing that then causes us to... I mean, if you were to ask Harvey, what makes you happy? What makes you... T it was Alabama. I mean, I don't know what he's doing this morning. Um, but we do that, don't we? we? We end up, Harvey's an extreme example, and it seems silly to us, but we look for life in other stuff. It could be work, a relationship, our status, our looks, whatever it is. And there's just too much of that in us then. 
And all along, Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is knowing me. Um, I mean, what did Jesus say when, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Teacher, what, what, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's the key to everything. The greatest commandment is to love him. Remember when the rich young ruler came to him? This guy, he's, he's young, he's wealthy, he's got everything going for him, and he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first thing Jesus says, because he, he, he addressed Jesus as good teacher. And so he says, why, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Are, are you saying I'm God? It's really what Jesus was saying. And then he said, it, it's kind of surprising. You know, you would think, wouldn't we have loved to have heard Jesus say, well, um, surrender your life to me. Invite me into your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't say that. How does he answer the guy? He says, keep the commandments. So the guy says, well, which ones? So Jesus begins about halfway through the Ten Commandments, and he just starts ticking them off. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. And he goes on through those last five. And the guy says, I've kept all those. And Jesus said, okay, if you want to be perfect, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and follow me. Now, does that mean we're all supposed to sell our possessions? Is that how we inherit eternal life? Sell everything we have, give it to the poor? I mean, are we all supposed to do that? What was Jesus doing with that guy? He was addressing his heart. See, Harvey's heart was full of Bama. Our hearts are going to be full of something. That rich young ruler, his heart was full of his possessions. So Jesus is addressing his heart. He's addressing his idol. He's saying, get rid of your idol and then come follow me. And the guy goes away sad. What causes you to be sad? What would cause you to go away? Whatever it is, is where you're looking for life. And there's nothing more important. I mean, the, 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 the truest thing about God is what he says about himself. And the truest thing about you is what he says about you. And the truest thing about life is what God says about life. So Jesus says, you're going to find it in me. You're going to find it in a love relationship with me, not in your possessions, not in your football team, not in anything else. You're going to find in me. And, and that's how we change. Now, Paul and Peter, I've got those passages for you uh, on the back of your worship guide. So if you want to take a look, it, it's a consistent theme. It, it's kind of like, you know, the, the magic eye book. We ha Sometimes I feel like it's just right there in front of us and we just miss it. I do. The truth is just right there in front of us. In, in a sense, it couldn't be any more obvious that the way we change is not through a system. 
It's not even through a process. It's through a person who redeems us. I think what we've done is we know the gospel has been good to us in the past, right? It's forgiven all of our sin. And we know the gospel is good to us in the future because heaven's a guarantee for us. But I think what we miss is the gospel today. And the truth of the gospel today is Christ in me. That's how we change. Okay, so look at, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 3. And we're not going to take a lot of time here. In fact, I would encourage you, take your worship guide home and study these passages this week. For this reason, okay, starting in verse 14, for this reason. Okay, what reason? Well, if you go back to the beginning of uh, the chapter, he says it again, for this reason. Really, verses 2 through 13 were, were just a sidebar. So back at the beginning of chapter 3, for this reason. Well, what's the reason? Let's go back to chapter 2. What's he been talking about there? He's been talking about the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles, that's us, have been reconciled to Christ. We've been reconciled to God by Christ through his blood. And at the end of chapter 2, he says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. There it is. That's the key. God lives in you by His Spirit, and He produces. We, we talked about it, what was it, this summer when we did the series on the fruit of the Spirit? God produces the fruit in us. What do we do? We abide in Him. We stay connected to Him. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ dwelling in you is how we change. We don't muster it up on our own and, and we don't, rely on New Year's resolutions, and we don't just try harder. Real, lasting change begins in Christ, and it comes as a result of an ever-deepening union with Him. It's no mistake that the Bible calls our relationship with Him a marriage. We're married to Him. And we grow in this ever-deepening love relationship with Him. And as we do, He changes us. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be what? Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here's the truth. You are never empty. You are never without. You have all the measure of the fullness of God in you. And He loves you beyond knowledge. And the way we grow, the way we change, the way we get past that point at which we're stuck 
is to keep pursuing him. And I, I love the way Bill Bright said it. Bill Bright was the uh, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and, and years ago I was on Campus Crusade staff, now called Crew. And uh, I, had, I have this quote that I had put in my Bible from Bill Bright. Bill Bright, um, he just, I guess he was probably in his early 30s, surrendered his life to Christ, and then he and his wife, Vonette, started a ministry on the campus at UCLA. And it grew into this worldwide ministry with thousands and thousands of staff in hundreds of countries. And this is what he said at one point. If you want to uncomplicate your life, now this is the, the, there's probably few men I would respect more than Bill Bright, the godliest man I ever was in contact with. So when I hear this, like, okay, I want to uncomplicate my life, what does Bill Bright say to do? He says, simply relax. That's not really what we, I mean, there's a plot twist. I don't expect to hear that. Relax? Aren't we supposed to try harder and do more and serve more and read our Bibles more? Relax. Truly, truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Spend time with Him in the Word and in prayer. Why? in order to be obedient to what he requires of you. So you get to know him. And he produces his life in you. And what? And he, the omnipotent creator God of the universe, holy, living, majestic, risen Savior, will do what needs to be done to best use you and your ministry for his glory. I think sometimes it's, it's just not about trying harder. It's about, that's great advice. Relax. Change your goal. Think about it. You, whether, whether you have your goals written or not, your, your, your life is pretty much directed by your goals and your desires. And what you want. This is a matter of just changing what it is we want most. This isn't primarily a bunch of rules to follow. It, it, it's a book to help us fall in love with the one who redeemed us, the one who forgave us, the one who loves us beyond knowledge. And as we fall more in love with him, as we get to know him better, his life is produced through us. Look at... Um, Look at 2 Peter. I mean, Jesus, Jesus talks about the way to accomplish this. You know, he addresses the, the man's idolatry. He tells the, his disciples, he tells the people that were listening to him speak, hey, the greatest commandment is to, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul talked about it. And Peter talks about it. He just says it a little bit differently in verse 3. His divine power has given us, past tense, has given us everything we need for a godly life. How? Through our knowledge of Him 
through knowing Him. There it is again. His divine power. He has done this. It's already done. We already have this. Has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him, through knowing Him, through believing the truth about Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness, through these He has given us His very great and precious promises. Why? Why did He give us His promises? So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, so you become like Him. You become more and more like Him. Your character lines up more and more with Him. Your thoughts, your, your, your desires, your wants, your goals, they more closely align with His for your life. So that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Here's the thing. Our problem, my problem, is not external to me. My problem is me. My problem is my wayward heart. My problem is not my circumstances. My problem is not someone else. I'm my problem. My heart is the issue. Harvey's manifested differently than mine. I don't have a whole lot of money. The rich young ruler, his heart manifested differently than mine. But my heart strays just like theirs, just differently. My heart is the issue, nothing external to me. And the good news is the solution to get past the point at which I'm stuck and not growing is also internal. It's God's divine power, His Spirit, His fullness in me. Peter goes on and he, you know, he lists. Now, this is, I think, a good reminder for this very reason. Make every effort. So, the Christian life is an autopilot because here's the thing. The power of sin over us is broken, but its presence is never gone. We will battle sin and the tendency of our heart to go its own way until, the, until we die. So there's a real effort on our part. Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control. And he goes down through the list. And then in verse 8 he says, If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, there's the word but. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. That just speaks again of, of redemption. When we're not experiencing the life God has for us, we've simply forgotten who we are now. We're not the old person with the old heart who is a slave to sin, who has no choice but to sin. 
We have been bought with a price. We've been redeemed. Our legal indebtedness has been paid. And we've been given a new nature. When we, and then we live out of that new nature. How? What we've been talking about. I get to know Christ better. I remember the fact that His power, His presence, His fullness is in me. And He, call, he calls me to an ever-deepening love relationship with Himself. And when I remember that, when I remember my past sins have been forgiven and the gospel in the present is Christ's power in me and a love relationship with him that's growing, that keeps me from being ineffective and unproductive. That keeps me from going my own way. I don't know where you're at um, what, what's in your heart? It, it's so easy for our hearts to stray. But don't make the mistake of thinking you have no choice. Before you were in Christ, you had no choice. But the power of sin's been broken, you've been made new, and the reality of the gospel today is that Christ can produce his life in us. Matt's going to come up and um, just play a little bit. And I invite you to just take a couple minutes. You don't have to come up here. You, can't, you can come up here if you want to. You can just stay in your seat. Just talk with God. My hope today, again, we're talking about the wonderful counselor. My hope today has been... Not that you feel burdened like you've got to do more or that God's coming down on you for a straying heart. The good news is the gospel. The good news is he doesn't see your sin. The good news is you've been forgiven. You've been made a new person. And we can begin to enjoy that relationship with him today. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. His grace covers all that. You've been cleansed from your past sins. Don't forget that. So I invite you to just take a couple minutes where you're at. Just talk with him. As this season of Advent, as the season of arrival begins, maybe just renew your commitment just to love him. Just Relax and love him.